0: our show, Catharsis, at exhibit.teachingartistpodcast.com. Juried by Chloe Alexander, it features the work of 19 artists and includes brief videos several of them made about their ideas, process, and advice for aspiring artists. Maria Coit, my partner in this gallery project, has also created two lesson plans to accompany the show. We would love to hear feedback if you share the exhibit with your students or use the lesson plans. We will also be doing studio visits live on Instagram each weekend throughout the run of the show, which ends March 19th. So be sure you're following us, Teaching Artists Podcast and Curated for Kids, to join those live studio visits. Okay, today's episode is a little bit long, so I'm going to get to it. Adding Voices began as a free virtual conference for art educators of color and allies, founded by Flavia Zuniga West. Soon after the first conference, one of the presenters, Sydney Snyder, came on board as a co-organizer for future conferences and an editor and contributor to the Patreon resources. Their newsletter for patrons is almost a misnomer. It's more like a beautifully designed virtual magazine with clickable links, curated images, articles, and carefully developed lesson plans that include pre-learning resources for art educators and contextual information about the artists they feature. It was such a pleasure talking with Flavia and Sydney and seeing their dynamic. I love how both of them resisted becoming teachers Despite it sort of being in their bones, it was wonderful to hear more about their art practices as well as their paths to teaching and to creating, adding voices. We got into questions of conceptual work versus craft and why they're often pitted against each other, <clears throat> patriarchy. We talked about identity and the planting and harvesting of self Flavia talked beautifully about her children and the process of parenting and teaching as being akin to sculpture, gently shaping these individuals. This episode is a bit long, but it is so worth it. Flavia Zuniga-West is a full-time middle school visual arts teacher at an independent school in Los Angeles, California. She has been teaching for nine years and is a speaker, advocate, and mama of two. She has worked with the American Alliance of Museums and has taught art in elementary, middle, and high school classrooms. She earned her MA in Museum Studies from New York University and her BFA in Drawing and Painting from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Flavia utilizes frameworks such as critical multiculturalism, critical race theory, and black feminist theory to develop pedagogical and curricular strategies for art education. She is the founder of the Adding Voices Conference, the first ever conference to focus solely on issues of culturally responsive pedagogy in the visual arts and to create a community for art educators of color and allies. Flavia is a curriculum writer, presenter, artist, and advocate who co-authors Adding Voices Patreon with Sydney Snyder, which offers a newsletter and curriculum focusing on anti-racist, culturally responsive art pedagogy. Most recently, Flavia was a keynote speaker at Moore College of Art and Design discussing the practice and theory of culturally responsive teaching in the art classroom. Sydney Snyder is an artist and art educator living in Los Angeles, California, She oversees a TAB choice-based studio at an inclusive model school where learners of all physical and intellectual abilities work side-by-side all day. This is Sydney's third year teaching in a TAB studio and 10th year teaching art in a school setting. Sydney also works as a co-conspirator at Adding Voices, creating curriculum resources, editing newsletters, and organizing events she brings her experience in inclusive model education and adaptive arts to the resources shared through Adding Voices. In her own studio practice, Sydney currently enjoys working with glitter, yarn, felt, and dye to create happy, soft, colorful, and sparkly works. Sydney often shares free curriculum resources for teachers, parents, and young artists on her website under Teaching Resources. Okay, let's hear from them. I am excited to be here talking with both of you. I'm here with Sydney Snyder and Flavia Zuniga-West. And you both started, well, Flavia started and then Sydney has joined an organization called Adding Voices that is just incredible. So I'm hoping we can fit in kind of talking about both of you individually as teachers and artists and also Adding Voices to get started just a little bit of each of your background. And I usually ask how you became a teacher and how you became an artist and what roles both of those play, and how they kind of interact, Flavia, do you want to jump in? Hi, I'm so excited we are finally able to do this.
1: Um, it makes me happy. let's see those are those are big questions yeah, so how I became a teacher technically speaking, I never planned to become a teacher. I'm a second generation teacher, so my my mother and father are both teachers. my aunt's a teacher. Um, I'm married to another family of teachers, so um that is strong uh, I suppose I would say. It started with um, the school, the Art Institute of Chicago, where I was doing my undergrad. And my senior year, I was like, what am I gonna do when I get out of here, right? Like, I wanna be an artist. I wanna be a working artist, right? And my parents were like, yo, you should find like a job or like an internship, like something that pays you money, honey. And I was like, right. you know. they've always encouraged me to go after my dreams, but they were kind of very um, logical at the same time, pragmatic, so to speak. So I signed up and applied for museum education internship at the Art Institute and I got it. And it was like this crash course in teaching. I didn't know it at the time. So I was teaching or well, I was interning. So I was a museum docent. I was with kids kindergarten through 12, walking them through, creating like thematic lesson plans, walking them through the exhibit. And that kind of was the the bug, you know, when you get bit by the teaching bug and you're like, oh, this is amazing. That that like moment that you're like, this is so cool. This energy, the synergy between me and other people, That that's when it clicked. Um, but I didn't become a teacher until nine years ago. Long story short, after grad school in museum studies, moved to Seattle, independent curator for a little bit, curatorial assistant, moved back to LA where I live now, and then got the teaching job. So elementary school was the first thing. So yeah, I guess that's how I became teaching. Does that answer the question?
0: Yeah. And then I guess the other half of it is your own art practice. And like, do you still kind of have your own art practice and what where does that um, I'm fit in <laughs> because
1: my art practice i think all art practices do but they evolve they ebb they flow I always think about it like Mm -hmm. the tide, you know? Totally. Think about the ocean, like, you know, how things wax and wane, like it comes in and it comes out and it comes back to me and then it goes away. And I try and accept it like that's natural, that's organic. So I've, uh, I've been making art since I can remember. There's tons of pictures of me as a little kid with like the easel, the paintbrush. Like it's, it's always been, I've always been the mix all the colors together kid, never keep them separate um, individual. I love mixing. I got into, I thought I was going to be a fashion designer. And then I ended up in fiber and material studies. And that just spoke to my heart. I don't know. It's just, it makes sense to me. Materials together, telling stories. So I didn't make work a long time after undergrad. And then I'd say probably, I don't know, I make artwork now. That's how I can answer that question. And it ebbs and flows. I was in a dry spell, what I'd call, or like, for a while and then while well, teaching like my first couple years teaching you know you're just trying to like learn everything you're spending up you're up so late making the lessons etc i i didn't have a lot to give to myself and then finally after a couple years i was like okay i think you know i got a couple lessons they work all right and then i started getting back into the making but the past three years or past four years mm-hmm. i guess i'd say since my son yeah so four years was a job change I made more work again like the process of uh i don't know gestating and creating life is is pretty intense um I'm going to try and watch my words I have a potty mouth so I'm going to behave myself <laughs> but it was really intense so that's going to be my pots as city knows about my potty mouth and mm. I think that's when I started really making work again and that moves in between painting and mixed media and now I'm back to making some new work because I have a daughter now and she's They're both just fueling some new ideas and I'm revisiting things. I guess that's the easiest way to answer that.
0: Yeah, I love, I mean, there's so much in there because, you know, as you know, I also am a mom, just one, but it's a lot. It is, And also just the ebb and the flow. It's that's reality. That's life. It's so real. Sydney, would you want to jump in and kind of share your background, your like entry into teaching, and your sort of art practice?
2: Yeah, sure. So I'm like, it was a mistake to have Flavia go first because now
0: I'm I just say that. <laughs> you that? Oh. You're so awesome.
2: This is to go. It's good. You have such a good story. Go, go, go. Okay. Well, I would say I was actually really resistant when it comes to getting into teaching. I studied art in undergrad, and I switched to that major like right at the beginning of my junior year, I think I was studying English and they wouldn't let me do just poetry. Like they said, I had to do fiction, like short form, whatever. And I was like, I'm done. So I switched to art and was very happy. And I was feeling the same kind of thing. Like I, you know, I want to become a working artist after this and that's what I'm going to pursue. And I, my mom, as I got closer to graduation was really pushing me to do this alternative teacher training program. That's in Colorado um, or in Denver at a school called Stanley British primary school. And she was just constantly like sending me information. Oh, they have interviews next week. And I'm like, I'm in California. I don't know how I'm getting to the interview. And so finally she was like, maybe I just really want to do this. And so my mom did the teacher training program. And I moved back out to Colorado after graduating and I started subbing at schools and I was like a a tutor for a while at a tutoring center. And I eventually got a job at that school, Stanley Bridge Primary School. I I began teaching art there without any kind of like degree in teaching or training. But every job I'd ever had in my entire life was working with children. So it was like, I knew how to do that. Like, (laughs) I'm very good with kids. But the school after a year said that they'd like pay me to do their training program. So I was like, well, I can't pass that. Like, I'm not going to be a teacher, but I can't pass that up. So I did that. That was really hard because most people, they're placed in a school. And so you're, it's like a year long program and you're doing your training at the same time as you're like working in a classroom, like your student teaching. But I was also teaching art at the school. So I had to do like the multiple subject student teacher stuff, Mm. but then also teach art. So I went down to one day a week that I was teaching art, but it was like so much work. And then I got really sick and we didn't know what was going on with me for a long time. And it ended up being like a really hard year because on top of all the work, I was just really sick. So when that year ended, I was like, I'm done teaching. I will never teach again. I'm going to become a server at a restaurant. Like I want a job that I don't have to think about when I go home. And I also had felt like I just didn't fit in at the school where I was. There was like kind of a vibe that no one believed I was sick. And I had like a really serious GI infection called C. diff. And I ended up not being able to work for a while and meeting some like Serious medical procedures and stuff. So, anyway, I moved out to California and I started subbing at a friend's school. She'd been teaching there for like maybe eight years. And I started subbing and I was like, you know, I'm just doing this to make some money. I need to do something. I'm never going to teach again in my life. And I was teaching summer school there and they came in and they were like, you have a background in art, right? Yeah. Can you start teaching art this year? And they had like just had one of their teachers leave, their art teachers leave. So I was offered a job and I was like, I guess I can take it for like a year, but I'm never teaching again. And I realized that I guess in that job, I realized like, oh, this is what I do because I just found a school that's like my perfect fit and a community that was that's like so supportive both parents and staff members I mean I don't know how it'll look after COVID but like everyone's walking down the hall like hugging each other it was just like my kind of like lovey supportive place and I so that made the job sustainable for me and happy so I definitely had a moment where I was like okay I'm coming to terms with the fact that like this is my job this is like you know what I love doing. And then in terms of art making, I had the same kind of experience as Flavia. When I first got into teaching, it was like no time or space for my own practice. But before that I was making really, I think we all were like in undergrad, like conceptual work. And I felt like that's the only work that you're allowed to make. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. count if it's not something that needs an artist statement. And Mm -hmm. so it was actually me getting really sick and making work about that experience. Experience that got me back into art making. And I joined a collective that was all, it was called Patient Experience in Los Angeles. And it was all artists who mm. live with illness and make work about illness. And that kind of got me, that community kind of got me back into making work. And that was, you know, about my experience with illness. So that was, had some concept behind it. And then once I started teaching again, totally fell away. And I also have pretty bad depression. So when that hits, it's like, not happening so Mm -hmm. I realized you know I wasn't doing what I was teaching my students which is like experiment sit down pick something up and see what happens because I'm teaching in a choice based classroom so it's like okay maybe I should start doing that and so in the last couple years I've kind of gotten back to regular art making and working with yarn and felt and dye and (laughs) glitter which is like a long time preferred medium but (laughs) Yeah. So it was kind of like stepping back and looking at my teaching practice and teaching myself how to get back into making art.
0: Uh, I love that. And I mean, I had also a very long three to four year break of just not making anything at all when I was pregnant and then a new mom and like just could not handle life (laughs) in general. (laughs) But I feel like the beginning of teaching is also just, it's overwhelming. There's so much that you're focused on. Yeah. And then also the, I love that, like what you said about the statement and conceptual work and how there's this idea out there that like, if, it, if it's not conceptual, if there isn't like a big idea behind it, like it's not Worthy or something, and just like breaking that down, throwing that out, being like, I can make stuff with glitter that's pretty and it's still art.
2: (laughs) I mean, I wish you could see behind me right now because I was making like giant glitter paintings of poop. So I would like, they are pretty. Like when the light hits them, you should see them, but. (laughs) They're so pretty. They were so
1: pretty. Like talk about getting to know somebody that you've never met in real life. Like I've never met Sydney in real life. Just want to put that out there. Like we became friends over Instagram as people. Um, So like we've never met except like via you know Zoom and whatnot. But every time we chatted, I was like, I have a question like there's glitter pieces and then she was like oh this is gonna be so (laughs) awkward and it was it was like funny because you know being a parent you end up talking about a lot of bodily fluids you know quite often so it was interesting but Sid I love what you said about how your students influence Mm -hmm. you you know I always had to catch myself when I say kids because I'm like there's like my children and then there's like my kids like my students that's how I think of them and I think they influence you so much like they were like why aren't you making why aren't you painting especially middle school for me you know like my My eighth and ninth graders are like, you have such cool ideas. You should make stuff. I'm like, no, I shouldn't make stuff. They're like, why aren't you making stuff? And Mm. I'm like... I'm not being true to like what I'm teaching. Right. And you got to be authentic. So I just love that part. I feel that a lot.
0: Yes, totally. And it's so hard to take your own advice. Sometimes sometimes you need a young person to push you.
1: (laughs) It's really true out of the mouth of babes in a sense. Like, you know, they're so wise and we don't, you know, a lot of people just don't listen to kids enough. They're so smart.
0: They are.
2: I also feel like curriculum is takes a lot of creative energy. Yeah. I don't do like a lot of projects like here's what we're doing. We're all doing this, but we do a ton of art history and we do a ton of medium specific lessons, just like general use of stuff. But I put just so much energy into the creation of these lessons that it's, you know, it just like wipes you out creatively or it can, it can. So I think that's also Mm -hmm. where you have to also take what those students are giving and use that in your own practice when there's nothing left up there. Because I've definitely <laughs> gotten to that point on more than one occasion.
0: Yeah. And then you guys are also, are, I've been working on getting away from that phrase too. Guys, you guys, you all, yeah. you all, you amazing women have also been creating lessons for adding voices and sharing, putting those lessons out into the world, which is another job on top of all, all the things you're doing. Um, would you want to talk about that a little bit and... I know it moved from like Flavia was the original idea to do it as this conference. That's maybe an annual conference. And then it did it, how did it like end up where it is right now?
1: uh, How did adding voices end up where it was? So it begun Mm -hmm. with an idea, I don't know, years ago, a feeling like, I've had the privilege of going to some amazing conferences that have been steeped in inclusion, diversity, and equity work on social justice. And I always found when I went, I was being fed in some points as like overall the educator, but not specifically in my field. Right, And for me, I have a I don't don't think most of us have some untraditional way of going into teaching, but for me, I thought I was going to work in museums, right? Like my degree, uh, my master's degree is in museum studies. So I was like, I'm going to do curatorial work or museum education. So I came at it, you know, in a circumventing way. Mm. So it wasn't like a set textbook. And I felt that by the time I ended up teaching learning kind of in like on the job learning, so to speak, and I was going to these conferences. First, it was like culture responsive teaching that hit me and I got educated and that hit me, but I never had something that spoke to the specific field. Does that make sense like departmentally or like mm-hmm. the discipline of teaching art? And so I always thought I was like, wouldn't it be cool if there was something like that? And then my mother actually joked with me. She's like, so you made your own professional development by pretty much like creating an entire conference. And I was like, I guess I did, mom. I'm like, whoa. So I guess that's how it started. And then I ran the conference, I think it was the fourth of June. So my daughter, it was my daughter's a month-old birthday. So she was very little, like I would- it's
0: a little bit crazy.
1: <laughs> yes, Cindy, Cindy, you and Cindy can talk perhaps about me later. Sydney um, puts me-
0: <laughs> Crazy in a good way. Like that's yes. incredible.
1: <laughs> um, she's probably one of my biggest cheerleaders to talk about someone you've never met person. So that's how it, it started. And then when George Floyd happened, like, so I already had shared the idea. I already had started creating it. And Sydney and I met because she was one of the first 40 people before the escalation of police brutality came to, um, I think, public view and George Floyd's murder Sydney was already like oh my gosh this is amazing I've been waiting for a conference like this all my life this is totally my jam And this is all like via like Instagram right and I was like oh who's this who's this lady like you know like hi I'm Sydney I really want to present and I was like oh that sounds great she's like can we run some ideas like like can we hop on a you know a call can we chat I you know I'm all about inclusive teaching I was like oh my gosh yes uh, yeah me too like let's talk about inclusive teaching and then that led us to learning we had totally different concepts of what and ideas of what we meant by inclusive teaching
0: Uh, And I'm curious there, like, what would (laughs) what would you say were your different ideas there? you want
2: it, you want yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the school that I'm at is it's called Chime and it's that stands for Community Honoring Inclusive Model Education. So we are a fully inclusive school, which means that all of our students learn side by side all day. Students with developmental disabilities are in the same classroom all day. Like there's no pullouts for any kind of like speech therapy or anything at all. Happens in the classroom. We have a lot of paraprofessionals who are amazing and so hardworking and make that possible. We also have every gen ed teacher has a, a SPED co-teacher. So there's a ton of collaboration. It takes a lot of work to run a school like that. But once you're in it, it's like, why isn't every school like this? So that's what inclusion meant to me. Like I was like, oh, you know, that's all, I'm all about it. And then, you know, Flavia, sh- she mentioned this culturally responsive teaching, like conference and really getting into that and that being a huge passion in that. Flavia, would you say that's like your angle that you were coming at?
1: Mine was coming, yeah, from, I think, culture responsive teaching and thinking about, you know, an anti-racist classroom space and thinking about how do we cultivate student voice. So when I was thinking of inclusion, I was thinking from uh, different aspects of equity, but I wasn't thinking about abilities the same way. Right. So then we were like, oh, oh tell me more. Like it was like, it, I can't say instant friendship, but in, it, is that OK to say? Is that, yeah. Instant friendship. Yeah. Um, so then that burst, the conference happened, we're chatting this entire time through the conference, we've now exchanged text messages at this point, and we're chatting up. All day, on, like all day, and then checking in, be like, "Am I overdoing boundaries? Is this all right? Like, like do you feel comfortable, right? Because I'm trying to respect the fact I've never met this person, but like, there's just just this energy, this creative energy, right? And it's summer, you know, that's when we're all in that great marination station, as I call it to my students. You know, like we're marinating our great ideas, and like you know we're fresh again because you know you get worn out. So then I said, oh, I really, you know, I feel like they should go further. All these people want to know what's next for this conference. So maybe I should do like a newsletter. And people were like, do you have lessons? And I was like, maybe, well, maybe I should make some lessons. And this is like some bouncing ideas off of Sydney. And then eventually she's like, you should totally do it. <laughs> And then I was like, do you want to do it with me? Because I'm scared. And so you got to grab a buddy. And so we kind of just, you know, ran off into the sun. It's not sunset. Sorry. Um, You know, we have a completely platonic relationship. um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um, But I mean, you know, it it really was like, I'm going, yeah, you should do that. Yeah, you should. Yep. Take it. Yep. Do it. And then it was like, you know, getting more specific about ideas. And what do you think about like a lesson like this? And how would a lesson like that? And the more we talked about it, it was like, should we just be doing this together? Like it just kind of, it happened really organically. I I think our friendship did and our work relationship did. And we realized pretty quickly that just like, we worked really well together. Like I was someone, who in all of my schooling was like I can't do a group project I have to work by myself and it was like <laughs> we just jammed like we we could talk all day like nerd out on art history and like the art history that we're into <laughs> <laughs> specifically um but yeah so, so. I guess that's how it started to answer I
1: think that answer yeah we answered the
0: question yes it's so interesting to hear and I mean, I would love to also share because I love what you're doing, but I feel like listeners need to know more about what you're doing. Maybe sharing what are the topics of some of the lessons? What are like, do you have a favorite lesson that you've put out there? Yeah. Anything, I guess, more about that content?
1: Ooh, I feel like Sydney is about to do some researching and pulling up things on the computer.
0: I can tell you that guys are pulling dumb.
1: it up. <laughs> Notes are okay. This is not a test. Totally okay. You know, collaborative conversation. <laughs> I would say, well, first off, adding voices is a community. So we haven't figured out if we're really... Like, we are some form of organization. I don't know if we're a club, but that's to to be sought out or to continue to meditate on. Mm-hmm. But we're an online conference and we're building a community for art educators of color and co-conspirators that we'd like to call allies so overall what that conference is is a call to action to art education to really start talking about inclusive pedagogy to really start talking about anti-racist curriculum culturally responsive teaching from k through 12 and the college level so really addressing solutions for equity and courageous conversations and then that birthed our Patreon, which has a newsletter. And then it also, if you are on a higher tier, I, I don't know what to call that. It's so weird because it's hierarchical <laughs> and it's nature. Anyway, I digress. Sorry. But, and then if you're on another tier, <laughs> um, you get a, you can be receiving art lessons. So those art lessons, right now are more artist focused. Uh, So they're highlighting a specific artist because we felt so many people were asking us like, what's a great black artist? You know, what about a black woman artist? What about a female? What about a trans artist? Like all these questions of who, right? Mm -hmm. And also trying not to fall into the tropes of tokenism, right? Like just because you pick a person of color, right? As your artist doesn't mean you're delving into questions or necessarily know how to
2: use that artist to then, what's the word I want to use? Like have conversations. You, you always call them courageous conversations.
1: Yeah. I, I'm like such a visual person. And like, it's like this, like that it feeds or cycles into, I think it provides mm-hmm. opportunities to then delve into deeper conversations, right? About equity, social justice, race, um, and to have those courageous conversations in your classroom. So that's what they are. And they vary between different artists. Sid, you want to keep adding to that because you have it pulled.
2: Back. Well, we both always <laughs> really love doing the newsletter because Flavia and I were both really into like magazines when we were younger. <laughs> and like, I too, I also wanted to be a fashion designer and just like, so, fun. so that the aesthetic side of it, I think is really fun for us, but also just like finding, just like doing little tidbits. So we like, we, we get deep into a lesson, you know, in the lesson plan, but we also like to give like a lot of resources, like a ton of (laughs) resources in the newsletters. And we both really enjoy finding those and sharing those. And that was really the big thing is that both of us were doing this in our own classrooms and just kind of in a vacuum in our own school. And it was like, just putting so much work into creating these lessons and it was like i would love to share these i want to see your lessons i want to see so that's really where like the community part comes in and we're really hoping in the new year to find ways to add voices whether that's helping out with the conference or more trying to feature teaching artists like in our newsletter and yeah, yeah i don't know
0: no i love that
1: yeah totally and then it it adds like so every lesson that comes through so right- Right now we are artist-based. We have talks about moving more so to like thematic-based or inquiry-based lessons, just as a means to be more thematic and to help, in a sense, bring on contemporary pedagogy, right? When we're really thinking about how to build curriculum. But we thought it was a great place to start, like familiarity. That's when Sydney and I first started talking. Like, you know, a lot of teachers when they first start, I know for me it was like deep space sparkle and other places. And that was the first place I went. I was like, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. you type in art lessons and these things come up. And then you, and then you look at them, right? And you kind of seen that format and we were like well what would ours look like right dreaming that dream and it's changed a little bit since we've from the first one to where we're at now right that's the cool thing about evolution and growth but i think we always have a picture of the artist we always have like a brief little overview and then we break it up to suggested materials always talking about the fact that the teacher has to do internal work right before they're working externally with their students that there's always individual work we must do before we can teach right like you got to know your content before they do Mm -hmm. and feel comfortable Asking those questions to yourself as the adult. And
2: materials you mean like resources for teachers, yeah. like articles and like we like we include. Yeah not like art materials.
1: Yes. Yeah. So then that's like, we have vocabulary that should be used. Then we do the core standards. We of course have studio habits of mind That's Sydney's jam. And then, you know, I don't know. We just, we ebb and flow, but there's always some pictures of the artists. And then the biggest thing is the materials. So the materials are everything from, I mean, yes, we talk about what materials you should Mm -hmm. use, but they're suggestions, right? All of us know our students the best. And then we introduce the art and the artist and then we talk about my favorite part personally is talking about the culture (laughs) responsive teaching part because I'm a nerd I love doing the discussion questions and how to delve deeper and the teacher preparation Mm -hmm. there's a whole section that we call teacher preparation that I guess I have the honor of writing and that's kind of really delving deep into each artist and like how we can make the artist mm-hmm. relevant to the world today, right?
2: And I get really into the like, we have a, a section on accessibility and teaching this, making this lesson accessible to all students in terms of both like the physical materials they're using, but also like just the artist themselves and the questions we're asking and the paper material, you know, like the just. The whole le- lesson. And then I also, like I said, I teach in a choice based classroom. So we try and also have a part, have the lesson be kind of open ended. And like Flavia said, like everyone knows their students best. And I also know like this third grade class is very different from this third grade class is very different from this one. And this one's really into fashion design right now. And this one's really into drawing cars. And this one's really into building at the architecture center. So, you know, you need room and flexibility in these lessons to be able to. Reach all your students. So,
0: yeah, I love that. It sounds so useful, so helpful for teachers. I feel like just my teaching situation is so not the norm. And I'm curious what your I guess you're both teaching, you've been teaching virtually, right? So maybe if you could talk a little bit about your like personal teaching situations, but then also do your lessons, it sounds like they're flexible enough that they would kind of like teachers would be able to adjust for whatever situation they're in with the pandemic right now.
1: Well, with the pandemic, we... We decided to add that Mm -hmm. aspect to the lesson. So there's always a digital component that we've added inside the lessons at that level. Yeah. So that there's some options for teachers because we know like across the states, right? Like everyone's in a different teaching situation depending on where they are. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm 100% online. So I have only been on campus to be alone in my own room. And even that's limited because I have children Mm -hmm. at home who need me. So yeah, it depends. Like I planned a lesson thinking that we were going to be back in real space and time because we had a visiting artist come and I was so pumped. I was like, it's going to be like this. And this is totally, and I got it all planned. And I was just so geeked out with my multiple little, you know, like, you know how you do it, like your post-its and you're like doodle all over it. And you're like, we're going to do it. It's going to be so great. They're going to be so excited. You got your plan. And then that goes away. And then you have to hit the drawing board. So it totally changed for me, a specific, I was doing a piece on Patrick Martinez He's an incredible artist from Los Angeles. And so he was a, we're lucky enough to have a visiting artist program at my school. So he came to visit. We had a plan. He does these amazing memorial cake projects, like, or paintings, excuse me. We made a project out of it, but he does these cakes amplifying people who he feels like haven't been celebrated, right? And that deserve that space. So he puts them on these paintings that look like sheet cakes. And then he also has this amazing neon work. So I was going to do neon with my students, and that went out the window because I didn't have time for that. Like neon wire but that was just like we can't do that but it was gonna be so rad anyway (laughs) sorry I digress I'm moving past you know you have to keep pushing past those moments we're
0: learning to accept (laughs) what we cannot control yeah and that's one like you also kind of have that in the back of your head that you can do at some point in the future exactly
1: like another year it'll be fine you know but I guess so for me it totally changed materials completely changed like I packed everything for my students sent them so for me it's important to put in context that so I teach seventh eighth and ninth grade at an independent school and I teach seventh grade which is a foundations course so they learn every form of materials if that makes sense all disciplines mm-hmm. and then I'm also very discipline as and I'm a drawing and painting teacher for eighth and ninth grade mm-hmm. so it's a very specific focus <laughs> of what I teach which is very different but it's also fun Mm -hmm. because I love drawing and painting. It's a big passion of mine. So I kind of get a little bit of both, but that changed from a painting project to a mixed media project, but it turned out great. So I'm really pleased with the results. And I think that's the beauty of this process is, you know, we keep telling kids to be flexible or, you know, it's going to be okay. Right and to accept what happens. And I think accept what happens, but it's beautiful to see the growth, you know, the learning moments, mm-hmm. I think as a teacher, right? Because as our teachers were like, we can find a way, like give me this glue gun, some duct tape and a Sharpie and I'm going to make this thing happen, right? Like that's our nature. And sometimes you just got to like, be like, back it up, back it up. Like that's not going to happen this time. Like you just got to accept like, nope. Like, you know, it was,
2: go that way. Yeah. It was yeah. also really yeah. cool as an educator to get to watch Flavia go through that process and the evolution of the lesson because she was sending me stuff and I was just going like yep sounds good I mean like rarely would I be like maybe try this but so I was seeing just like the changes that she made and she'd say hey I did this lesson today and this (laughs) happened and I wasn't expecting this and I know like I'm doing the same thing especially as we're all adjusting to zoom but to watch her do it was really cool like to see her say like I tried this this really didn't work what do you think about trying this Okay, I tried that. That didn't work. I didn't, re- they're all at home. I couldn't walk up and show them like, no, 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 this is I So just seeing that behind the scenes problem solving and like the evolution of the lesson was really cool. And that's what I think is really big right now is, and, yeah. and I think that's, this is a really great opportunity to make mistakes. Like that's a big thing in my classroom is talking about making mistakes and that being a huge part of learning and that learning's not happening if you're not making mistakes. And so I've, become pretty comfortable with that and talking about that with my students. But that is like, I guess, a positive side of this experience is that we're able to kind of look at our own practice and really get into like, how is this working? Because I'm also entirely online. So it's given us at my school an opportunity to try some different things that we haven't felt like we had time for in person because we, since we do choice based, we struggled with like what to send home with students. So we ended up doing a supply list and it was kind of like, if you don't have any of these things, you can't get them. Let us know. We'll get it sent to you. But in the classroom, like I'll have six kids on the rug building with blocks and I'll have three kids at the collage center making some like collaborative, not anymore, like collaborative kind of 3D collage craziness. And then over at the drawing center, I probably have like six, 10, six or 10 kids. And then over at the painting center, I have five kids. So how do you do that at home? So we switched our format and i have it's really given us an opportunity to like expose our youngest students to a lot of artists that we just don't have time for in school. Because in school, it's like, how do you use, how do you access an art studio? Like, how do you take care of materials? How do you use all these materials? Because in order to use them, we first do like a little lesson on them. So the first half of the year is always like just getting to know materials and learning to work in an art studio. Because tab uh, we started tab choice based three years ago, so the whole school has been transitioning to that. So now they're using whatever materials they have at home. And I'm still seeing the six kids with the Legos. And now I got I have some students with Play-Doh. And now I, and I have a, some students who are drawing. And we sent home sketchbooks for everyone. But we're doing open-ended. Challenges. And there was also the accessibility component. So our students at school are working with, like I mentioned, the paraprofessionals who are trained to support those students. And now all of a sudden, their home with parents who, of course, know how to take care of their children, but supporting someone academically is really different. And in an art class, it's like I've had parents say, like, how is my child going to paint? And so and in, in class, I'm like, here's this grip and here's this slant board and here. So we wanted to make sure the challenges were really open ended in that sense also. So it wasn't like you're making a drawing of a favorite person this week. It was like make art about someone you admire. So it's open. And then we show, like usually like two to four examples of artists who make work about people that they, heroes, people that they admire. And we've had so much fun putting those challenges together and the students have had so much fun and it's, it's a choice, like they can do the challenge or not do the challenge. So we've kind of kept the tab spirit alive, but it's also, I think in, in school, you have to kind of get used to someone not telling you what to do, like just sitting down and making your own work. And during a pandemic, as an adult, as a, it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard to get motivated. So the challenges have also been helpful for that. We're doing different stuff in middle school, but that's kind of how we've been doing lower school.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a really good way to approach TAB. I had tried, like I had been sort of shifting to TAB before the pandemic, and I could not handle continuing some version of TAB with basically being told my kids have my kids I say the same thing (laughs) my kids have no materials do you know super basics and we didn't have art kits out until right just now so all fall it was like you know recycling and a pencil and with pre-recorded videos so not even like seeing them in real time at all and not even seeing like getting no feedback just totally like strange way of teaching where you know it's it's impossible to adjust on the fly i know that came up like you were talking about seeing flavia adjust on the fly in this like zoom land But also, I mean, that's something that we naturally do in the classroom all the time and not being able to do that and not knowing, like, I'm sure parts of what I say are like not making sense or just not working, but I don't know which parts. So that's been a huge challenge for me as well. I feel like it's just helpful to hear what other art teachers are dealing with right now and how you've been handling all the challenges that have been thrown at you. So thank you for sharing all of that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Every day's a new day. I think we've kept each other um, afloat. Or I'm going to speak from just the I perspective. I need to practice and say to that. But like for me, hearing Sydney tell me like she's having a rough time has really helped because when you're in your own bubble, right? Like your own experience is just you know, like, I only know my lived experience. and Like right now it's really hard. My husband's also a teacher. So we're both Zoom teaching, but he's a college professor. So we're passing a baby back and forth between us while we teach. And then hoping she's napping. So that's just like a component in my brain. And I've sent Sydney pictures and she's like, how are you doing? And it's like, I have the baby strapped to me and I'm like teaching or like trying to input stuff. Oh. But you know what I appreciate what Sid said was that it's like the questions you ask students. I always come back to this. Um, it's part of culture responsive teaching of thinking about how we ask a question is so important for our students or how we pose something or the directive. Right. And I always think about that's, that's really affected me, I think, with this pandemic and teaching is the difference of just saying like, make art about blank versus I need you to do a drawing, right? Especially for my seventh graders, my foundation courses, I'm like, create something meaningful <laughs> thinking about, right? And I like have these long pauses and I'm a mixture. I'm like, I can't, I'm synchronous and asynchronous. So I understand what you mean when I'm like, here's the tutorial. Like, this is how you gesso something, apply something to another surface, right? Mm-hmm. And then they come back and I'm like, oh, okay, it's like surprise. <laughs> You're, like, (laughs) There's a surprise element and then it really makes me think about just forms of communication and those who are neurally divergent. It's just Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm growing so much. It's painful, right? Growth is painful. It is not, you know, like metamorphosis, (laughs) I do not think is this, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what I'm going through, but it's it is hard when you can't just play to your strengths, right? Like person, like I'm quite good at drawing. I, it's like, it's a good, you know, like I feel very confident saying that. And so I'm like, oh, I can help you draw a face. Like I could go right next to you, show you how to draw the nose and then compare, contrast, watch you do it. The littlest thing of like how you're holding that pencil or turn the paper, move it sideways, hold it like this. And to not have like not getting through the screen makes it really frustrating. And so I'm sitting there on the fly of my head is like the problem solving is What's exhausting beyond breaking through the fourth wall that is like a screen? I find mm-hmm. that's what is most tiring, probably by the end of the day. Is even though if I have the lesson and then I have to change it in real time, it's the amount of problem solving and also appearing like calm, being like, okay, hey guys, this isn't working. See, I did it again. Everybody, this isn't working. Hmm. Okay. Let's, let's just take that. Do they want have any ideas? Write me in the chat. Like it starts being collaborative. And I keep coming back to that. Like we are in community together. They are equally artists as much as I am. And I need mm. to pause and allow them to lead me as well. Right. It's like that give and take.
0: Oh, that's so powerful. The cat their artists as much as you are and having that like collaboration. And I've seen
2: Flavia do this with teaching too. And I I do this with my students, like soliciting feedback about like our actual teaching. So, and I don't do it as much with lower school. I see them 30 minutes a week, um, which is really fast on Zoom yeah. <laughs> when you're showing materials. But my older students, I've found much harder to engage. Half of them will have their cameras off and then you can't tell if they're like playing a video game at the same time. And they're amazing. And I can't imagine as a teenager being home with my parents 24 hours a day, like just that alone is like, where do you escape to? So like, I get it. There's no criticism there whatsoever, but it's been hard to figure out how to engage all of my students all the time. And you're really, per- it's, it's like performance art, but that feedback has been really important. So getting feedback, just like, how do you think that lesson went? What would you change about this semester? But also saying like, what was your favorite memory? And then students are thinking like, and that's really helpful information too because it's like, oh, I didn't, I I guess we should bring in more guest artists because 19 out of 20 students said that was their favorite class of the whole semester. And I know Flavia does those feedback surveys too. And it, it's, I didn't do that my first few years teaching and it's really helpful.
0: Yeah, that's a great tip for teachers to just, you know, ask for feedback like that. Yeah, and now you can just do like a Google form, right? And it click, click, click.
1: <laughs> like yeah, can, like space to it and do like the breakout room. But yeah, there's like so many options you can do. But I think it's so important to ask them because what you think is the best lesson, right? Like it comes back to that, like what you think your best lesson is, and often what they think the best lessons are very two different things, mm-hmm. right? And then for me, I think it always provides, I mean, it's beyond perspective. I think, again, it just comes to like learning what's being received and to get away from product-based concepts sometimes. Like for me right now, especially with Zoom, like I don't, I mean, yes, it'd be great and lovely if you produce something as a student in my class, that is the goal. But to me, if I was just successful, especially because I teach, you know, I teach about 12 to 15, right? Like that's the age group I'm talking to on a daily basis. And there's lots of fields there you are with your family all the time you know there's a lot going on there like that's the hunger for independence right that's like where you know who you are in school having the other place that where you can just exist right is everything for all kids but especially you know that age grouping and so sometimes there's like can you just uh, draw me how you feel or give me one word right and it's dead silent most of the time oh it's so silent and you know i just lean into it like i sit there and i count you know i just wait for them to reply with anything and it starts with one person and then another and then like I'm crying by the end because they're just like I'm not okay you know Mm -hmm. or they're like I'm fine and then someone's else like I'm totally stressed out You know, and then slowly they're starting to build community, right? But I'm so curious what these artists are going to be like. When you think about our students, these artists, the way in which we're asking them to think about materials and be resourceful, like, Mm. oh, I'm so excited, right? Like, think about the art they're going to make or how they're going to think about materiality in this whole other format, the problem solving, the critical thinking
0: skills. Sorry, it just makes me excited. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, having to I mean, it's totally pushed me as a teacher to be like, okay, what I have like a plethora of art materials in front of me right now. But okay, if I like erase my little like studio at home, And just go to my kitchen, like what? And don't use food items because they might need to eat them. But like, what else do I have? Hmm, what can I do with (laughs) these basic household things? Yeah, that's been a huge challenge. And I love that framing of it too. Like, think about the possibilities, how exciting this is for the future. Ah, Thank you. And I
2: feel like we're kind of coming back to that concept thing because we're also like, like I said, there's a huge materials focus in my class for the first half of the year. And now it's like entirely conceptual. And the other art teacher and I at my school and I like don't have setups at home really where we can like demonstrate drawing something So it's really like art history and sharing art. And that's a big thing that we've started doing that I I think we're going to have to incorporate pretty heavily when we get back on campus is sharing art, because we've seen at this point, like I kind of track who shares and they're all sharing now and just seeing like that. You can really see who they are and where they're at right now. And it's really different sometimes one week to the next, like what they're making work about. And that's like with kindergartners, like you're seeing that conceptual work from the littlest ones because they're we all need an outlet to process what's going on in the world. Like I never had anything happen like this when I was a kid. So that's a cool, that is a cool side of it, I think. I think it's really different.
0: Yeah, I see that from, I have my daughters in kindergarten doing like online kindergarten and she's she's like arted out at this point cuz i was making her help me with demos and stuff so at this point she's like i don't my teacher said that art projects optional i don't want to do it <laughs> she's just like no more art mom i'm done <laughs> but i see it coming out in other ways for her That's important. and yeah But I would love to hear more about your sort of artwork and what's happening with that now for both of you. Mm. Sid, do you want to go like our own or
2: student work or our own work?
0: Yeah, your own work. Because I feel like we've talked a lot about teaching and I know you're both like you talked about kind of that like ebb and flow and... How challenging it is in terms of time. But then that's, I mean, I feel like that's also another interesting thing to hear about and like helpful thing to hear from other teachers who are wanting to make art. You know, are you still during all of this and how are you fitting it in? And what does that look like? Is it doing some of the same things you see it doing for students where it's like helping you kind of like process? things and get them, get them out. Yeah. It's like 20 questions in one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think for
0: me, and
2: I have, I, I told Flavia this earlier, like I, and I, and I said that at the beginning of this, like I, I feel like uncomfortable talking about my work when it's not conceptual and I don't have that statement because for me it's become really like a I know all art making or most a lot of art making is like a tactile thing but like I've been doing a lot of sewing I make lots of pom-poms and tassels and do a lot of stuff with yarn and just like that repetitive cutting and like stabbing something with a needle I did try punch needle this year (laughs) and I've just felt like because I can't get out and interact people and walk around. And that's so much of our job that like, I need to do something with my body at some point during the day. And i have you know, I'm trying to do some yoga. That's the extent of my physical activity right now. But I just have this feeling in my body that I need to do something. And so doing, I'm doing a lot more like, craft kind of work and the way I kind of got back into art making at the beginning of the pandemic was I was experimenting with like I had been making a lot of little sewn felt things and I made this thing I really liked that was like kind of this moon shape and it had like I was able to incorporate some of the drawer of pom-poms that I have that I've made and tassels and beads and stuff and I liked it and so I kind of just took that as a template literally like I had a template that I used, but then I also was like, I can do this. So I'm going to make color choices and texture choices and I can think creatively, but without going beyond what I feel like I'm capable of doing right now. So it was just kind of like, I call it easy art and that's, it's like easy listening. Like that's, what's worked for me. And that's been accessible to me during this pandemic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I feel like taking the pressure off in that way is great like there's I don't feel like there should be any apologies for it or you know and using craft materials is that's that's back like that's totally like so many people are doing that in the art world and just elevating those materials but not to say that it has to be something that's meant for galleries like I feel like what you're doing is beautiful and valuable and valid thank you. that's it <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah, I agree. It's interesting because you make me think about, I think there's always this boundary or this invisible barrier between craft and technique, right? What we consider those things. And I feel like that's completely rooted within the patriarchy, right? And the way in which we are considered to view materials, right? And materiality, right? Like when you read books like Subversive Stitch, Or, you know, thinking through craft, there's a whole bunch of them where like the theory and talking about conceptual, like the need to make or to use soft materials, right, is so coded, right, such coded language of like what we choose to consider high art versus low art, right? And I think there's something therapeutic about materiality itself, just whatever the material is and working with it. I actually think you're super conceptual, Sid. I just don't think you're like aware of what you're currently like processing. It's just, you know, it's like the outside, right? Like you could totally feel how you feel, right? I always tell my students, there's that difference between like your own individual perception of your art making, right? And others and how they perceive it. And that both are equally valid and you have to step back as an artist. And that took me a long time to learn, but I try to teach that now inside the critique process, but I think making things with your hands is so important. I'm, I'm very similar, so I felt the need to make. But it took me a while. I felt the first thing I made was the conference. That sounds strange and conceptual, but it, it felt like a a second birthing, so to speak, with that ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Like my daughter is definitely like this yeah. masterpiece that I marvel at. Same with my son I'm now at four. It's a masterpiece that has a lot of opinions that I don't like. You know, a lot of, I don't want to go to bed and another story, right? But at the end of the day, there are works of art that are living and breathing that I can't control. And I think once I learned that in parenting, it was really beautiful to, because you're stepping back and watching uh, evolution, like this tiny human evolve, right? Or people become who they are, right? Just like our students. Mm -hmm. And what you can do is just slowly shape from side to side and it feels like sculpture a little bit Mm -hmm. or dance, and I'm a dancer. I haven't danced in a really long time. That's probably where like, if we talk about, I always think about like births and deaths in life and thinking you'll get used to it. It's okay, Rebecca. I'm just kind of like this with my ebbs and my flows. Um,
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs>
1: so for me, like the death is, is dance right now, right? Like dance is, is not you know, it's in the winter right now, like, you know, I miss it a lot, but I'm just not in a place where I can do that. I feel out of my body that way. Mm -hmm. I'm very much still like a modern contemporary dancer. So for me, like Martha Graham, the idea of the contraction, right? And then we release it, the soul jumping out, like that's my jams for Mm -hmm. movement. And so I'm just not there probably because my body's in service to like a human and I don't Mm -hmm. know, I'm just not there
0: in pandemic.
1: But in terms of art making, similarly, I've felt the need to make, and I feel like there's these processes of making, right? Like there's what happens in your brain, right? The thinking, the dreaming of art or thinking about what it could look like. I don't know what you have. Like I can see things, it's like glimmers of what something looks like. And then all of a sudden I'm like, right. But I rarely have time. (laughs) To do any of that. So I find that there's almost a part of my art making that now deals with time, like literally, like the aspect of time and duration of time. It's not mm-hmm. like anywhere intentionally in it. Does that make sense? But it's just my own personal awareness in the making. Mm-hmm. And then little bits, it's changing expectations, particularly you know, beyond just like pandemic parent of now two children. It's a difference of perspective, I think, that it's in little bits, right? Like for me, ten minutes has become something very different to me, right? In a teacher world, right? Like that break where you're like, set up, get all the materials, like, hey go. Like, you know, you're just running around and now thinking about that time where I'm like, I have ten minutes, I should eat something, right? Like I need to eat a snack because I had to teach again. But then at that same time having that that moment to steal away and that calm. And I think for me, Mm -hmm. That's what's provided a therapeutic nature. Also just because the state of the world, I think for me. Identify being, you know, Black and Latinx, particularly Mexican. So for me, the world right now is painful. So I feel the need to process all of it, but particularly like aspects of my identity, healing certain parts of that. So right now I'm working with a lot of, I'm revisiting ideas of identity work um, and talking about being multiracial product of an interracial marriage and things like that, but identity work, which I was told to veer away from in undergrad. It was like, this doesn't make sense. This, you know, like what are you talking about? Or somebody being like, in my day, like we weren't allowed to comment on black people's work. And it was a white professor talking to me. They're like, we weren't allowed to comment. And I was like, cool, but like, I'm your teacher. Like I get that. Cool. That was like the seventies or whatever. But like, I'm your student now in your class. Hello. Um, (laughs) Please talk to me about my work. Right. But I was talking a lot about code with me, yeah,
0: And that's never cool.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I was just saying this kind of statement as like, I can't talk about it because I'm white. Right. And it's like, no, you can still talk to me. Like, about the work in any format or like even what it makes you think, right? So that was very Mm -hmm. difficult, but I still haven't had the discipline of, I don't know what the word is, like the finishing of the piece, right? Like the discipline where you have to do those last finishing touches. I wasn't there yet and that's fine, but I'm revisiting those ideas. So right now ideas of like a vessel and wrapping are really important to me right now. So I'm working with, I have a very small space to work, which is my table. So I'm working with corn husks. Ooh, Yes. And it's memory it's vessel it's bundles right and bundling mm. you know in terms of recently having another child thinking about precious memories are wrapped in like tamales and things like that right like the sweetness or the savory So I'm really exploring those ideas with the medium and play. I think the only reason why I'm not freaked out, you know, when Sid talks about like, it's not heavily conceptual. So, you know, like, I don't know about my work. And to me, I'm just like, I don't know about my work. It's probably too conceptual, right? Like I'm totally in my brain and my head. Most of the time, I don't talk about my art making to most people or anybody really. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for asking. I like it's, it's somewhere locked in my head and it's often like, there's not bandwidth, right, or space to talk you know i'm i'm pretending to be like valkyrie or like the hulk playing you know avenger games most you know part of my day or you know <laughs> working on you know phenomes like ah, 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 ah bah, 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 you know like with kiddos so it's in those quiet moments where i'm thinking about precious things that have been there and this aspect of memory that's happening so and layering so like and, and play, that, that's what I wanted to get to. It's play. And my students reminded me about play. I forgot about play. So silly, right? The adults in me forgot about play. And I'm always telling them, don't rush to be an adult. It's not that great. So what I can buy boot. Really not excited. <laughs> the voting thing, that's pretty cool. The driving thing, meh. But like, you know, like, like anyway, it's not that great, right? Like, in the idea of don't be so ready to take on all these responsibilities when you're in this beautiful place to steep and cultivate self and I realize how much I hunger for that right the planting the harvesting of self and that's forever but
0: mm. I feel
1: like there's something within working with mm. these materials right now I'm showing them too
0: yeah
1: uh. but working with these materials of corn husks on top like in parts of houses so to speak and then on top of the husk, this is like mm. kind of what I'm playing with right now
0: yeah
1: connecting to the work that's behind me like that piece over here has corn husks on it within braids I used to do a lot of hair work and then this piece over here it's hard to see but I guess that's where my making is. So it's in small little bits. I always hunger for more time. You know, when I was in, I don't know about you guys, but youth, my youthful self was like, yeah, I'm going to make artwork. And I'd like lock myself in my room Is perhaps not to make people who are actually manic, um, not to downplay that, but it felt like that, right? Like this like spurt of incredible intense energy. And so I'd stay up for like three nights, like making and just in it and like, you know, thinking about it. And, and you know, that doesn't <laughs> exist now, right? Like it's doing that for a few minutes. Snack, zooming, or choosing to be very sleep deprived the next day to steal the little moments, right? But there's something to that, I guess, is what I mean. Like the like the process of making it, I don't get to steep in it long enough, right? Like cooking time, or you think about things like that, right? Like for the recipe, or what I perceive it to be. So then it's like evolving into this like i i don't know like but i literally set this down cuz i was working on it while zooming with you and now i'm like oh yeah like yeah like like i like it from this perspective <laughs> right from like the top down like I'm really and the way it like loops from the top so I don't know um but material mm-hmm. it was a material I was afraid to explore and you think like the play right I'm just like well let's see what happens if nobody sees anything like what oh no I made an Instagram post about it like just kind of getting over myself a little bit you know the taking yourself a little too
0: seriously sometimes Uh, So much goodness in there. I feel like I relate to so much of what you're saying, especially the time and that shift into parenthood. And I feel like I've spoken to several parents who all go through like, we are not alone. (laughs) They all go through this, like, okay, I have to completely change what I was doing. I have to like, how do I fit, you know, what used to be like a entire day on Saturday, just like making my art in my studio, doing my thing, thinking about it, like whenever I'm not teaching. And now I have these little people that I love the way you put it too, that like your body is in service. And, you know, that's, that consumes your mind in a lot of ways too. Like it's, it's hard to have Even when you're sitting there like nursing an infant and you could be thinking about these concepts, it's hard, at least for me, I'm just speaking maybe for myself, but it's hard to like have the mental capacity, the mental space to really think through what it is you're doing with your artwork. And then the physical time is just like... (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, it's the physical and the mental, I think. And it also goes for mm-hmm. teaching I find because, you know, there's only, you know, one of my, you know, my, my brother uh, is a writer and so is my husband. And when we talk about making art, it's like, there's only so much in the pot. There's only so much in like whatever you want to call it, the gumbo, et cetera, right? And all are welcome to the feast, but there's only so much you got to keep enough so that everyone's fed. And that means you too, right? And so it's this ebb and flow between like the sleep, right? Or feeding myself through the making. But then there's the the time mm. with me, right? The conversation I have with my art, right? Like the conversation you're having with yourself mm. when making, like that's just as important just as much as like my students deserve me fully present. And if I'm too tired, I can't fully be there. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes, you know, they get bummed when I'm not making stuff, which is a weird, I don't know, Sydney, if you ever experienced this, we're like, what did you make? Like, what are you drawing? And you're like, well, I made this thing for like the demo. And they're like, wait, wait, like, what like like that is invalid, right? Like for them, they're
2: like that's not you. Really, I had a period where I felt like my work was not like kid friendly, and it wasn't like I mean, wow. Well, I didn't feel like I could share my work with my students, so I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm making stuff, and like parents would ask too, and like every once in a while I'd be like, they can they can do my work, and I'd like <laughs> give them my website. But now that I'm experimenting and playing and and working with like you know I'm calling it craft material, but it's it's like that also has been really accessible to my students because they're really into aesthetics. And so it's just looking at pretty things. They're connecting with that. So that's been fun to be able to feel like I can share more of my work. That I was doing like a lot of performance art and video art and, you know, the glitter work I said was poop. And so... <laughs> It just everybody read a book about it, Sid. Oh, a book and I have another Instagram, I don't even know if Flavia knows about it, called Poo Jazzle, and that's like now an archive of a piece that was related to my experience with illness. So I'm all about poop and I've brought poop to my school and I've had conversations with the director of my school when students have included drawings of poop, you know, the poop emoji in their work and is that appropriate and have had those conversations. But it's like, you know, I'm introducing materials at the drawing center. Like, I don't know that I'm going to share my work about like the Kardashians, like my my sound art about reality TV. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. right. Well, no, I think that's interesting too. I found it's affected my work so much.
1: Like I hadn't drawn and painted in so long. And then like, I got this new job where I was so excited. Like, ah, I tried and painted like, yes. And so I went down. It's like, I have a whole bunch of portraits because I need to teach portraiture. So, right. Like, so I delved into, I have like a whole set of portraits and my students are like, these are so great. And I'm like, between you and me, like I would never show them. Like I love them. Like, you know, like, or, like I've shown them like they're on my, my Instagram, but you know what I mean? Like they're not something that I would seek to be. Like exhibit. Yeah. Or an exhibit because there's something about the exhibition that's personal. Right. And I mean, we talk about mm-hmm. that. I think we get to uncover that a lot when we think about our students sharing artwork. Right. Like it's deeply personal. And it's a choice to me. It's a boundary piece of like, am I choosing to be open to others telling me their opinion, right? In a sense, weighing its validity or did I make it for me? And every time I start thinking about it, going up on a wall, any kind of art. To make. It, it's not good. I don't like it. Like I don't have enough words for it. I'm like it just doesn't work. And every time I think like I'm just playing or I don't put that pressure on myself, it becomes these be- this beautiful moment of learning or something I haven't thought of. But I feel like being in community with our students, remembering your student inside that space too is so great clear because like I wouldn't have gotten to going back to this material without that like we had the visiting artist come and talk to my students and he was talking about materials he does these like urban landscapes Patrick Martinez and he was talking about how he uses like a power washer on like you know the canvas after he's put house paint on top of it so he kept talking about the material itself and what he's referencing and I think for me, I didn't like plan like, oh yeah, this is totally for me, right? Like as a teacher, but just while I was sitting in that space and he was speaking to my students, it all of a sudden was this aha uh-huh moment. And I was like, I think I've got to go back to the old work. I think I've got to start going back to these courthouses. Mm-hmm. Like, there's more, there's more here. Mm-hmm. And I think calling out the you know decentering whiteness right and really talking about white supremacy is being aware of when acts are done upon you right like i think there's an aspect of telling me the identity work wasn't like worth pursuing and I was talking to one of my good friends about it. And they were like, you totally should make work about what you're thinking about. Like the old work that you showed me, Flavia, is like, whoa, mm-hmm. like do that. like I can't, I'm so sorry you stopped, right? So there's a healing in that too, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But
0: yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it sounds, I mean, to me, it sounds like that professor was uncomfortable and like wanted to make himself comfortable at your expense
1: right as a teacher which is just okay dude (laughs) let's start square one no yeah
0: exactly
1: you know and it would have been even great if it was just even talking to me about the materials right like just base level like the materials or the technique like you could have picked anything Mm -hmm. to to talk to me
2: about Mm -hmm. I also think when our students and when people are making work about identity though, like you listen. So there's also yeah. Mm-hmm. when my <laughs> students share work about themselves, I'm not critiquing them. I, I am looking at the materials or I'm asking questions like, and you're, and you're pushing them, but it's not like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. And, uh, you know, making connections and relating and sharing other artists that maybe they would connect with. And right. yeah. Yeah.
0: Or even just being like, I feel like that's so valuable, but if you're if you're, you're at the point where you have like no way to connect to this and you're just super uncomfortable, just say that. Like, I, I'm sorry that I don't know how to connect to the work you're making. It makes me uncomfortable. Like, can you tell me about it? Leave it at that if that's all you can handle. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, really. Yeah, no, totally agree. Thank you for that. No, I think it, it comes back to being like you were uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable talking about his whiteness in relationship to, right? Like my identity. Mm-hmm. And that's why this work is so important is to stop acting like saying you're black or saying someone has brown skin or that you're white is this bad word. Right. It's it's so much more complex mm-hmm. than that. And that's where like the internal work versus the external work, right? Like you gotta know you and be comfortable sitting in those questions of why. Why is it that you don't know more if it happens to be from a certain background? I think that's mm-hmm. so important in the process of knowing ourselves. And I think that's what we have to teach our students too. Like not only just like art making the process of it being healing with what the pandemic is happening right now but also just saying like, that's how you're gonna know yourself, right? It's to not be afraid to ask those questions even if it's scary.
2: Yeah. And I, I think the hope is with doing this work on ourselves and thinking about that is that we can then maybe empower our students to have those conversations when they're hopefully not, but when they are inevitably in a position like you were in and able to say like, this is about me. Are you asking about me? Are you asking about my work or what? what's making you uncomfortable here? And it's, you know, I think imagining my 18 year old self having a conversation like that is laughable, but I'm hoping that having these conversations as like a 12 year old will empower them in the future. Yeah, that's a good point. I
1: think, I think it's that mix too of when I think now, when I think about it, it's that mixture of evaluating him as teacher, but also evaluating the space I was in holistically. Does that make sense? Like, Who was in the classroom with me, right? I was one of few inside the classroom in terms of of students of color in the space. And so I wonder if that would have changed because I know when I was sharing that work with like my friends who weren't in art school, right? Who are completely outside, they're like, oh, dude, that's so cool. Like, how interesting, right? Like, there was this relatability. But, you know, I think it's a learning process in the end when those things happen. But I think it's experiences like that that keep me wanting to do the adding voices work. If that makes sense, right? It's the fact that Mm -hmm. I want someone to lean into discomfort and feel comfortable. In the discomfort, right? To feel comfortable being like, I'm going to be uncomfortable for a moment, but this is going to be this huge growth experience. Mm-hmm. But everyone comes from a different standpoint, right? Like for me, white supremacy wasn't something like, you know, indoctrinated at home. Like I'm first generation on one side. And so when I think about like my experience, right? Like my mom's from Mexico City and I came, you know, they came over here, you know, my brother and I were born here. And when I think about the art that was in my home and my parents being teachers, they were doing that decolonization right like they were decentering whiteness they were like I got in trouble being like Mm-mm, Columbus is not a nice man right I got in trouble at school so I was like he's not a good person like he has problems like you know missions are not happy places in terms of California history right mm-hmm. or saying without Africa and specifically without certain exhibits that happen right people being exhibited African masks being exhibited like Picasso wouldn't be Picasso right like Guernica could never you know the, the movement of those pieces or the way masks were used like Cuba Itself, right? Like where that comes from. I was lucky to have parents who were trying to to teach me those things. Granted, they came. Granted, still in school, right? Those things happen because, you know, you, you're trying to cope with either aspects of assimilation or, unfortunately, like whiteness, right? Like even in art class. So I don't know. I'm excited for what we're doing. I still can't believe Sydney and I became friends the way we did with Rebecca, even meeting you. I'm like, what? Somebody wants me to be on a podcast? Like, that's so weird. Like, I just yes. do my thing inside my class, pl- right? Like the classroom Here's like, I'm going to do my thing in the classroom, you know, and then here you go.
0: But I love how it's blossomed from what you, that entire background, like, I feel like it's, from your the childhood you're talking about that that is coming into what you're doing and now you're able to share that with people who didn't have that people maybe people like that professor who you know needed some professional development and needed like somebody to say hey look here are some amazing artists that you should know about here's like some context and how you can talk about them and Like, here's some really good questions that you should be asking yourself. And here's some really good questions you should be asking your students. Being able to share that and spread that is just incredible. So yeah, what you guys are doing is amazing. And anyone listening should sign up and (laughs) support adding voices and go see what they're doing. Check out these lessons. Thank you.
1: Yeah, the labor of love, I think, for Sydney and I, but it's also exhausting. Like, it's it's a really hard medium to not overwork when it's something we love, and having to almost be aware of when that's happening. But we also geek mm-hmm. out. Like, it'll be like us on Zoom, like this, right? And like, like picture, like baby, and like you know, picture, like last stuff happened over here. Dog on the other side with Sydney. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're like, oh, this this idea, like, oh, okay, like, yeah, uh, who is that artist? And then we're like, you know, it would be really good. We gotta find. She's like, oh oh, I have a, you know, so it's just like this back and forth, this synergy that happens. That's
2: beautiful. And we'll go like, I have an hour, then the baby needs to eat and I need to, and then it's like six hours later and we're like sweating and haven't eaten all day. It's like, <laughs> not
1: good, yeah. So, so we, we, oh. we change like how often, like, you know, when you were asking about the conference and like how often it's going to be, it's just this realization of like the goal is sustainability, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think I said that with the first conference. It's like, you know, the work that we're doing needs to be sustainable. It's hard and it's about consistency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, teacher burnout is real especially with zoom especially within the conditions that we're all in in this pandemic like all of it so you think when you put that in context you're like how can we like I said the pot like how can we make sure to like feed and nourish teachers who want to grow how do we make sure the evolution continues but that it's sustainable because I don't want my student I don't want to lose my students right like I don't want to be at a place where I can't be who I need to be for them just as much as like for my family right and the same thing for Sydney so we were like okay all right so we had like that first inaugural like whoa amazingness that happened I can't still believe that it was like 40 people and then I blinked and George Floyd you know was murdered and then all of a sudden I was up to like over 400 people attending the conference And then people signing up and it's just like me with a website and then like people sending me like messages and I like try to do that while like nursing the baby, like it's a whirlwind. But it was so cool that it happened. Like I'm still in shock over the what has occurred? Does that make sense? I don't know.
2: Yes. Yeah. And I think that's been a big thing this last couple months is that we've been trying to slow down and look at the work that we've been doing and plan for the future to create that sustainable future and focus on community. And where at first it was just like, ah, let's do this. And like, and just putting our whole selves in. And then the school year starts and it's like, you know, we've talked, we've talked about that. So that's kind of what we've been focused on is reflecting and planning. And yeah.
1: Cause it's that aspect of play, right? Rebecca, like that's the fun part, right? When you're just in that play or the, the marination station where you're like, oh, this would be so great. And I was like, do you want to do a newsletter? And then I remember when I shared my idea for the newsletter with Denise, she's like, oh, I think that, like this is way cooler than what I thought it was going to be. And I was like, oh, yay. Like, cool. like, you know, but we can't stay up that late and you know, the rest of it. And we're, I don't want to say perfection, but we have an eye for detail and we also are about things being aesthetically pleasing, right? And feeling the materiality and things. So we take a lot of time to design, like since for me, even designing the website for adding voices. So it's one of those things where you're like, let's keep it sustainable and also accessible, Mm -hmm. right? Like we don't want our content level to go down because we're tired. So this year will probably be like first year. And then we might take a year off just so we can listen, assess, and then have another year with the conference. Yeah. Year off of the the conference. Yeah. Conference of adding voices in terms of the Patreon, Mm -hmm. everybody
2: we do have dreams of some like smaller community like jam session kind of stuff
0: yeah
2: in the interim like maybe that's um, what we're thinking yeah just some place to connect without um it becoming too much yeah yeah like, like I like we're thinking maybe it, it's two of us right now <laughs> every, every other year and bring on more people. And, but we, we, we really do. It is really important to us to find a way to connect with people and hear from people and learn from each other in that in-between
0: time. Yeah, that's amazing. I would like to kind of give you a couple of just wrapping up questions. So this one is one of my favorite questions because it's just totally open ended and you can answer individually or collectively. What are you curious about right now? I would
1: say I'm curious about what the art world will look like in another year. I'm curious how the museum is going to change because the museum is not a neutral space. So I'm very curious beyond the fact I miss museums. And then just what teaching is going to look like now in a way, right? When I think about all Mm. the ways of like, you know, especially as art teachers, but teachers in general, how many materials we touch and our students. You know, and yeah, flu season and yes, we used to clean I cleaned everything, but I just you know, I'm curious what I guess in those two ways. I'm curious like what museums will take
2: into. You kind of sparked this curiosity, I guess, Flavia. And not that it hasn't been Something I've thought about, but just the way you put it was beautiful, like everything you say. But just thinking about our artists at school and the work that they're going to make, but even like in the next year, like even when we are back together, what that work looks like and what collaboration looks like. And I, yeah, I guess I'm just curious to see not just the teaching side and how and like the logistics, but like the work that they're making. And thank you, Flavia, for that, for answering my question, the question for me. <laughs>
1: so, uh, <laughs> I mean, right? Like it's one of those things where you think about it and we're asking just to be so resourceful and you're thinking like, okay, I'm doing that as an adult, right? But I'm asking you as a very young student to be so imaginative, right, with materials in an era where technology is so prevalent, right? So then it's like, I'm asking you to kind of go back and be an 80s kid, right? Like, like, like I'd be like, yeah, there's a TV there or whatnot, but like, you can't DVR everything. It's like, it's on when it's on. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's some aspect to that. You know, I mean, I'm more of a 90s. I was born in the 80s. I'm all a 90s. Me too. But like, it just <laughs> makes me... Yeah. It just makes me think about that. It's just interesting, you know, the perception mm-hmm. of the world and then how they're going to interact in general. I'm curious about social dynamics in general. Like how do we interact? Like, What's inside? Mm-hmm. What is outside now? Like what will be dining? Like mm-hmm. will we eventually actually go back inside of places, you know, mm-hmm. and- You said you
2: have uh, Rebecca, a kindergartner and Flavia, you have a four-year-old and I work with those ages and just thinking about students experiencing school for the first time on zoom. And they're like, that's their school now. Like they get up and they get ready. And I mean, I'm saying this all from a teacher perspective, but they know where the mute button is and they, it's just like, this is school for them. So I, I'm interested to see what that will look like when we're back on campus. And and if there are some, I guess, positive changes that will come from that, because I can think of a lot of things that are going to be really hard, but I'm really curious about the positives that are going to come out of that. Because we've, we've found really creative ways to connect. I've found a lot of games to play with students and like, sometimes we're doing these virtual hugs and I can feel them because we're like very yeah into hugs and kindergartners are
0: too
1: (laughs) I'm curious when I'll actually meet up with Sydney in person that's another Uh, one I'm curious when I'll actually see her without a mess like right like I'm gonna see her be like hi uh, you you yeah yeah but okay they're good questions you have good questions
0: oh those were all good questions now I'm curious about all of that too (laughs) (laughs) Okay, a really fun, just like little question. So I had what's your go to order at your favorite restaurant. And I've shifted this in some interviews, because I, I feel like there's so many levels of like issue with it, as it's classist in some ways. It's a question that's also like, hits me on a different level, because I haven't been to a restaurant since last March. And, like, you know, a lot of people haven't, (laughs) or even done takeout. Like, we've been so careful that we're just like, we're cooking.
1: (laughs) Okay, Okay, I applaud that. I applaud that. That's incredible. Yeah, we are like, I have to have a break because I'm going to go bananas.
0: I mean, my husband cooks more than I do. <laughs> too. Yeah. So maybe it's better to ask, like, what's your favorite food? Yeah, food's hard for me because
2: I have celiac disease. So that's pretty limiting. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, so there's
0: another. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm,
2: so restaurants are really hard. <laughs> like what you like, though, right, Sid? Like, what's yeah, your yeah. favorite food? No, but okay. that, but I get the restaurant complication that, like, uh. you, you think, like, oh, easy, fun, end of interview question. But then it's like, but what about those? Yeah. yeah. I feel
1: like that's great though that you're you're asking, you know, like that you're analyzing the questions, right? Because I feel like that's where our learning and unlearning mm-hmm. keep coming, right? We're taught that all these things are like non-taboo, so to speak, right? Or are harmless or, you know, are open-ended and then we keep mm-hmm. like learning them. Totally. You know? and learning them. That's cool. Okay, Sid, what's your favorite thing to eat? I don't know this yet, so I'm curious. Tell me
2: so my GI, I had a phone appointment. Uh, my gastroenterologist the other day said, are you still eating spicy Cheetos? And my answer was uh, yes, for breakfast this morning. <laughs> and by the way, like I also have GERD and I'm trying to stop eating spicy foods. So spicy Cheetos, you know, for breakfast, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you get up and then all of a sudden you're on Zoom with no 25 four-year-olds and it's like, I'm turning off my camera and eating a Cheeto mm. in between.
1: <laughs> well, that was like a snack. Are we calling, okay, no rules. Course, are we now calling Cheetos a food as I moved into food group? Okay. Because <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Okay. I'm just messing No you. It's really funny. My favorite food is probably breakfast. Like I can eat breakfast any time of the day. I'm particularly a fan of chocolate chip pancakes, if we're going with my absolute favorite. Yeah. Otherwise snacking, I don't I don't know. That's that's harder.
2: I can help you with that.
1: No, I mean like I like snacks. I love it's my favorite, Cindy. I love you. snacks. I thank you friend Mm. but no I love snacks I'm just trying to think of what (laughs) Oreos okay Oreos I'm like I can Mm. just I can put away like a row too quickly probably Mm. or Girl Scout cookies those are thin mints Mm. okay I digress yeah so anyways look at you so he's like la 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 I can't well I can't
2: talk about Girl Scout cookies because those are one of those things that like I can't Uh Ooh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Oreos Oreos I can't eat gluten-free Oreos. Okay, gluten-free Oreos. I, I, yeah, (laughs) okay, Oreos. I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you for creating them.
0: Oh, thank you. We We need that.
1: We do. As teachers. (laughs) We're like talking over each other. Yeah, so Sydney and I do this a lot. It's actually not talking over each other. It's sort of like finishing each other's sentences. But like, we need that as teachers because, go Sydney.
2: (laughs) I think, especially in a pandemic, you can feel really alone in your experience. And so that's why, also why Flavia and I are texting about lessons all day. It's like, is this just me? And it's not for any of you. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's nice to hear because you're going to connect with something everyone says because teaching, I feel like, you know, is teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much
1: for having us. This was really fun. Like talk about a lovely evening yeah. that I did not, you know. Like I mean, I yes. knew I had an interview and I was nervous, but we had an interview. But yeah, this was great. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I'm also always nervous. Still, I'm like still really nervous whenever, I, <laughs> whenever I do this. great. Yeah, thank you. That's a great <laughs> question. Is there anyone that you would want to thank or give like a shout out to? I feel like
2: if Flavia wasn't on here, I'd be like shout out to Flavia, you know, because yeah. she's like my. <laughs> co-conspirator in life, like... (laughs) But also I have the other art teacher, Emily, who works at the school that I'm at or at Miss Morton, the students call her. She and I have been able to collaborate more than we ever have before. And have both felt so grateful for that because it can just feel so overwhelming. So having friends who are art teachers and having co-workers that you can share this experience with, I think has been really important to so my other art teacher friends, Maddie and Deb and just, you know, that community, lots of love. That
1: community is so important. I totally agree. In general, I think I'm really grateful for my chair. He's incredible. Uh, So that's Joe Medina. Thank you for teaching me and always pushing me to share my ideas and to do the things that I'm scared of. And then definitely to Jennifer Gabriel. She's the person who helped me run that conference. Like she was the one who was just, I said, how do I run a conference? Like, how do you even do that? And she was the person who just said, Oh, like I used to run conferences. This is what you do. And without that, I wouldn't have been able to do that by myself. Like it was literally just me and like my friend choosing to talk to me, uh, Jahan Giles for her wisdom and consistent support. Yeah. And the family, I think I can't do that without them. And my kids always reminding me that there's beauty in the world. Cause I think I really need that during mm-hmm the darkness of of what exists. So like I think my family is like really key in that. I don't think I'd do what I you know, like I don't think I'd have the same fire sometimes, some days. You know what I mean? Without them. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely, and I wouldn't eat a lot of days without my husband. So there's also yeah, real talk, husband. Gratitude
1: yeah. Yeah. there, <laughs> yeah, yeah, gratitude there. Gratitude to the, to, the, to
2: the to them. Yes. That's true too.
1: I wouldn't be able to talk to you right now without a baby like bouncing and me multitasking right oh. now if he wasn't doing that. Which I just think dads should do their part and be parents just to like clarify that in context. <laughs> but I'm appreciative of the fact that that's that there is respect and no like you know just like care. You know,
0: it's important. Yeah. yeah. And last thing, where can listeners connect with you online?
1: Ooh, okay, so you can go to Adding Voices on Patreon. That's overall to see like what we do and to subscribe. Then there's the Adding Voices Instagram. And Sydney and I both kind of take care of that, but we also have our own Instagram. So I have mine. I don't know if I should say all that out loud. My brain's tired.
0: Yeah. you can if you want to. I'll link to everything too, so.
1: At lobby is DW underscore HW, I think is it. I'm fired. <laughs> so you see my face. My face was like squinty while I do that. Yeah. And then Sydney has hers.
2: Uh, yeah, my Instagram is Sydney Teaching art. And then my website is JessSydneySnyder.com. Awesome. Oh, and then I have Mexican Mama, where my artwork is. Which, yeah, and yeah. I will link to everybody. There's an Adding Voices website, but like the up-to-date stuff that's coming out regularly is Patreon and Instagram are probably yeah. the best. Exactly.
0: Cool. Awesome. Thank, thank you, you so much. This was you. fantastic. Thanks for taking so much time. Thank you for having <laughs> us. we
2: do virtual hug? Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or TeachingArtistPodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of Teaching Artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you.